You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, my next guest is Dr. Alan Kirby, OBE. He's the UK uh, Director of uh, Leading the Way. You've been hearing us play uh, Finding True Police ads here uh, on a fairly regular basis on the station. And and Alan is is the man behind uh, that ministry and Dr. Michael Yusuf, who we'll hear about uh, a wee bit later on. But first of all, good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Blair. Now, you've you've had an interesting uh, life journey, uh, starting, of course, with a very interesting career, haven't you? Uh, yes, uh, a, f- a fairly convoluted career, um, uh, I, I think. Um, uh, my my in, in, in initial passion from a very young age um, was to become either uh, a medical doctor or a uh, or a vet. Um, and I remember to the dismay of my of my parents setting up a, a laboratory in my bedroom when I was when, when I was quite young, and I used to grow bacteria. Uh, in petri dishes and dissect frogs and do chemical experiments uh, with a Bunsen burner. And I remember building molecular models, not terribly well. Um, and I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do um, as a, you know, when I left school uh, and as a career. Uh, and I immersed myself in this fascinating world of science um, for the next uh, few years. Uh, as it turned out, um, I, I didn't go on to do medicine or become a vet, but instead I um, studied biochemistry. Um, I did that at, um, at Bristol University and, and then went to Oxford University to complete a PhD. Um, and I spent 20 years uh, working uh, in Oxford doing medical research uh, and teaching. Um, and it was a real privilege during that time uh, to work in the world's departments at the cutting edge of, of medical research. Um, my particular research interest was in uh, the molecular basis of uh, diabetes, and I spent a lot of my time setting up collaborative research projects with other universities and pharmaceutical companies, uh, and for 20 years had the privilege of traveling the world, uh, attending scientific meetings and um, uh, and giving lectures. Um, and I was made aware a few, a few months ago that, that two ladies who I worked with in the 1980s, uh, one was a, a fourth-year biochemistry student who I taught as an undergraduate, uh, and the, the, the second lady was a, a postdoctoral research fellow. Um, and I discovered a few months ago that, that one of these ladies had been appointed as the chair of the UK Vaccine Task Force. And the second lady went on to become the senior executive vice president of Pfizer. Um, so I found that totally fascinating. And it was just thrilling to know that I you know, uh, was involved um, in the research with these two people uh, 40 years ago. Uh, who later were to go on and make a very significant contribution to the development of vaccines uh, for, for COVID-19. So that was just, a, a, that, that thrilled me a little bit. <laughs> so in, in, all, in all of those early days then, then Alan, obviously you were a man of, of, of science, and, uh, but was God on the scene or, or how, did your, how did you come to know Christ? Mm. Yes, I, I became um, a Christian through meeting uh, a young lady who was later to become uh, my wife. Uh, next year, we will have been married for uh, for 50 years. Um, we met in a little chapel uh, in Cheddar in Somerset, um, where, the, where the cheese comes from. Um, and I knew that I was, uh, when, uh, when I met her, I, I knew that I was simply going through the motions of, you know, being a Christian, um, 
trying to do good things, attending church meetings and uh, and that so on. And I, and I remember one day she asked me very bluntly, she said, um, was I a Christian? And I said, well, actually, I don't think I am. And then she said very sensitively, well, you better do something about it then. So, <laughs> um, so I... So I remember sitting down with, with her father, um, and uh, he explained to me very simply uh, that the gospel story, that sin came into the world through disobedience, um, uh, that men and women became separated from God because of that sin, uh, that there's nothing that we can do ourselves to restore that relationship, um, but Jesus' death on the cross provided a way back to God. Uh, and it became very clear, you know, that it's not actually about how you live your life, for by doing good works, but it's through faith, um, repentance, and uh, and forgiveness. Uh, and, and a verse uh, at that time from uh, Ephesians was particularly important uh, to me. Uh, it's where Paul said three quite profound things. Uh, he said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So that was the sacrifice offered uh, it goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So that's the relationship restored. And then uh, it goes on to say beyond that, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus so that was the the hope for the future so those three things the sacrifice offered the relationship restored and the hope for the future summed up very clearly for me at that time the essence uh, of, of, of the christian faith um and we used to live near uh, a place called burrington coombe uh, in somerset uh, and this is where uh, a local vicar by the name of Augustus Toplady. This was in the, the 1700s, sheltered one night from a storm. Uh, and as he was sheltering in the cleft of the rock, he wrote the words of the hymn, Rock of Ages. Uh, and and one, word, one verse goes like this. It says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of Ages cleft for me, let me hide uh, myself in thee. And I, and I think, um, you know, if you look at the Christian faith from a very practical point of view, and particularly as we look over the past year, you know, we are now part of a world that is desperately searching for, for answers. Um, I think the COVID pandemic has thrown the world into uh, a state of chaos and uncertainty. Uh, there are so many people now who are looking for hope, peace and security. And I think, um, you know, that the phrase... Um, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God is, is just so true. Um, so that commitment to Christ that I made in 1968 was, without doubt, the most significant uh, event in my life. And, and maybe without those... Transformational... Uh, I was going to say, maybe without those... Sorry, Blair. I was going to say, maybe, maybe without those events, you may have found yourself on the COVID team with those two ladies that you mentioned. But of course, your life... <laughs> Your, your life was to take a different turn, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say completely away from science, but you were called into ministry. How, how were you sure that your life was to take a, a different direction? How did that call come? Mm. 
Yeah, so as I explained, I became a Christian at quite a young age. I was I was 18 years old um, when I was converted. Um, and even um, at that time, I knew intuitively that one day I would go to full-time ministry, but I had to wait 20 years for, uh, for that to happen. But when I was working in Oxford, I knew definitely that God was preparing me um, for ministry. Uh, and I remember you know, spending a lot of time consuming Christian books. I read a lot of theology and church history. So I dived into Spurgeon and George Whitfield, Toza, and all those great writers. Um, but at that time, God also laid on my heart very clearly a real passion for renewal in the church uh, and revival in the nation. And that was to become uh, a theme for my ministry over the next um, uh, 30 years. Uh, I applied for ordination in the Anglican Church, um, but that wasn't successful. Uh, and to cut a long story short, I became the executive director of Crusaders, the Christian youth organization, um, now known as Urban Saints. Uh, so in 1992, uh, I went from the world of academia uh, into leading um, uh, a Christian ministry. Um, and I think looking back, you know, you can, um, these, these things are always hindsight. Uh, you can see exactly how God has uh, led and guided and influenced decisions which are not obvious at the time uh, but as you get older you know you can see just how how faithful god has been you know sometimes he's there very visibly sometimes very invisibly um, but um, he's always there um, but i think you know putting my faith and trust in jesus christ in 1968 was one of the most um, important and thrilling things that, um, that that I've ever done. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. My very special guest today is is uh, Dr. Alan Kirby of uh, Leading the Way uh, Ministry. Now, uh, obviously, Alan, you were to be led into Leading the Way Ministry, and again, another life change for you. H- how did that come mm-hmm. in, come about? Yeah. So in. Two thousand and eighteen, uh, as Blair has said, I joined a Christian ministry called Leading the Way, um, and this really brought together three things that God was laying on my heart uh, at that time. Um, I think the first thing was just just a reemphasis and a recognition um, that that we are living in a world, you know, where where people now are asking again, you know, what what is truth? Uh, living in a world where there are no absolutes, no reference points. Uh, no markers to me- measure whether something is right or wrong, uh, good or bad, uh, moral uh, or moral. Um, ling- living at a time, you know, when, where the Bible is a forbidden book in many schools, uh, where Christians can lose their jobs for standing up for biblical truth, um, and perhaps most sadly of all, where many churches uh, are not only accepting immoral lifestyles but are openly blessing them um so so that was the first thing the second thing is that uh, i i think there is a desperate need even more today uh for us as a nation to return to uh the foundational principles of the of the bible you know where uh, god's word in our nation is restored again to its rightful place in the key pillars of society uh so the importance of god's word in government in education uh, in marriage, in the family, uh, and uh, you know, most importantly, in in the church. And I think if you if you go back to the Old Testament um, and you read accounts there, um, so there was a 
uh, a king in the Old Testament called King Manasseh, uh, who was a disobedient and uh, evil king. Uh, he was one who removed the book of the law from the temple, and as a result, Israel suffered uh, judgment, punishment, and uh, exile. And then a few years later, uh, his grandson came along, King Josiah. Uh, he was one who uh, trusted and obeyed, obeyed the law, uh, and he returned the book of the law to the temple. And as a result of that, uh, Israel was restored uh, and blessed. And I think this emphasizes uh, importantly uh, the importance of biblical truth in society. Uh, you know, that a departure from God's word often leads to the exile of God's people and judgments, but a return to the book of the law leads to restoration and uh, and blessing. And I think the third thing that was important to me at that time was just a reminder again of the power of God's word to change lives. That the gospel story is the only story of grace, forgiveness, uh, redemption and restoration. Um, you don't find it anywhere else, not in any other world religion. And again, I just, you know, just mentioning again, uh, the centrality of the cross of Jesus provides a solution to the evil of the, the human heart. Uh, and that summed up for me uh, the very heartbeat uh, of Leading the Ways ministry. And then, of course, uh, holding those passions that you outlined there, your path was to cross with Michael Youssef. Uh, can you remember that that first meeting with him and tell us a little bit, a little bit something about, about yeah. him? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I do remember that meeting very well. So I met Michael Youssef three years ago. Uh, I was introduced to him by a friend. Um, at that time, I was really not looking for uh, another role. Um, and I remember saying uh, saying to my wife the day before I met Michael that, you know, I, I really must give some things up. I'm just too busy. I need to spend more time with the family and, and so on. Uh, but Michael was looking for someone to lead the work of leading the way uh, in the UK. Um, and as, as we met, um, we, we shared uh, a, a lot of things in common. Um, Michael was was brought up in Egypt and he moved to Sydney to attend theological college. Uh, he went to Moore College uh, in Sydney. Um, uh, Michael knew the principal of Moore College at that time. I also knew the principal of Moore, uh, who, la who later went on to become the Archbishop of Sydney. And we discovered that we had many, many mutual acquaintances in, in Australia uh, and the UK. And as we talked, I was so deeply impressed by his passion about proclaiming the uncompromising truth uh, of God's word. Uh, he clearly had a deep love for the UK. Uh, he mentioned a number of times the English Reformation, uh, the Tyndale Bible, the Wesleyan Revival, uh, that it was the UK that gave us the great pe uh, preachers of the past. So Charles Spurgeon, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, and so on. Uh, he was mentored by John Stott, um, the highly respected Bible teacher uh, and scholar. Uh, and after two hours with, with Michael, I was just totally blown away by this extraordinary ministry. Um, and I realized that God was saying to me that I, you know, I needed to be part uh, of, of that ministry. Michael offered me the role uh, of leading the work, uh, leading the work of leading the way in the UK. Um, and that's been, you know, since that time, it's been a, 
yeah, a, a thrilling time to be part of. So for, for you, uh, Alan, why why is is the work of the Ministry of LTW so so important? I think the the main thing is that uh, it it focuses um, unapologetically in proclaiming God's word um, as it is uh, as it is written. Um, and I think it's a fairly unique ministry um, in that it is able to communicate the gospel uh, and solid Bible teaching through modern methods of communication. Um, so it depends uh, on communication by, you know, by TV, radio, satellite, internet, social media, uh, and and so on. So uh, we have a window into the world, um, which many other ministries don't have and i think particularly if you look back over the last year where most of the world has been confined to their home for a part of the year we have had access into those homes because most people will have a television or a mobile phone or have access to social media um so it is an extraordinary ministry which uses the power of the media um to reach the lost uh, and disciple believers um and if you look at a you know a a typical week for leading the way uh then we would broadcast something like 13,000 programs a week uh in 26 languages uh across six continents and literally many millions of people are being reached uh each day um by the gospel going out through the power uh of, of the media uh and just to hear the stories and testimonies that come back each day, you know, is is quite is quite thrilling. And God is blessing the ministry in quite amazing ways at the moment. Now, of course, from from quite modest beginnings uh, on, on just a few, I think, uh, radio television stations, the ministry has grown. But you have an even greater vision uh, for uh, the year up to the year twenty twenty five. Tell us what that is. Yeah. Uh, so three years ago, when, when Michael Youssef uh, reached his 70th birthday, um, I, th- I think when most people reach that milestone, they will say, well, let's just slow down a bit and do a few other things. But Michael became even more ambitious in terms of his vision for the Ministry of Leading the Way um, and launched um, a seven-year program called Vision 2025, the aim of which is to see at least one one million people, one for Christ, by 2025, by blanketing the globe with um, the gospel message. So this is a very ambitious strategy. We're now, what, we're nearly three years into uh, into that program. Um, we're on track in terms of its delivery. Um, and just to give you an indication of some of the things that uh, were achieved last year, so something like over half a million Bible resources were distributed across the world. Uh, 50 million new TV viewers uh, were reached. Uh, We got onto an increasing number of TV and radio uh, outlets. Uh, Our field team, which is based around the world, received in excess of 600 messages each day from people wanting to know more about the Christian faith. So that is just um, a thrilling strategy to be involved in. Uh, and uh, leading the way in the UK uh, is contributing in a very significant way uh, to the delivery and implementation 
uh, of Vision 2025. Hope FM, faith-filled radio. And my very special guest today is uh, Dr. Alan Kirby, heads up Michael's ministry here in in, in the UK. Uh, I know that, uh, Alan, that for you, a, a visit to the Hebrides and, and meeting some remarkable people there was a real life changer because it was there of course that there was a great revival tell us a wee bit about it mm. yes um so just after um my conversion in my late teens i think as i explained uh, earlier uh, god laid on my heart a real passion for uh renewal in the church and revival in the nation and i spent, I spent a lot of my time in those days you know, just reading um, these wonderful historical accounts uh, of how God moved powerfully across communities, uh, towns, and even uh, whole nations. Um, And I was struck particularly by a story that I'd heard um, about the Hebridean revival in the 1950s. Um, And and the story uh, goes like this. It was a, a pastor who heard about what God was doing in the Hebrides, uh, and he asked a question to Leonard Ravenhill, uh, who was a well-known theologian and uh, evangelist. Um, he said, we wish revival would come to us as it came to the Hebrides. And then Ravenhill re- replied, but revival didn't come to the Hebrides by wishing. The heavens were opened and the power of the Lord swept across those islands because a group of ladies waited tear-stained and traveling before the throne of the living God. And that really uh, inspired me and motivated me um, and gave me a real passion to meet people who had actually experienced or gone through uh, a powerful move uh, of God. Um, And I did have the privilege some years ago to meet some people uh, who had experienced that revival on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides in the 1950s under the ministry of Duncan Campbell. So I did some research. Um, uh, I discovered uh, a man by the name of Donald Smith, uh, who, when I contacted him, uh, would have been in his 70s. He would have been in his 20s when the uh, revival broke out. Um, And he invited me up to Lewis. Um, And I remember spending two days with Donald Smith Uh, And he simply drove me around the island, introducing me to people who had gone through that great move of God in the 1950s. Um, And I remember visiting isolated farmhouses, sitting around kitchen tables um, with these people now in their 70s who had these most amazing stories uh, of this move uh, of God. So the stories that, um, that they told completely blew me away. Um, they, they spoke about, you know, churches that were absolutely packed um, night after night, uh, roads that were gridlocked because people wanted to get to church um, to hear D- uh, Duncan Campbell speak. Uh, they told me about workers uh, who literally fell down in the fields while they were working under the conviction of sin. And the most extraordinary thing that I heard was that the presence and the power uh, of God was so tangible and so strong that even pastors were affected. And we know, you know, that through that great move of God, many thousands were um, were converted, and that was uh, amazing. We can't 
uh, engineer revival. Um, we know that this is a sovereign act of, of God. Uh, he chooses how he will work and where he will work. Um, but it seems, you know, if, if you look at the accounts, the characteristics of revival uh, are always the same. You know, like those ladies on the Isle of Lewis who prayed night after night, um, it seems that there has to be a, uh, has to be a passion for prayer. Uh, there has to be a, a longing for holiness, a return to the uncompromising truth of God's word. There has to be a repentant church um, and a longing to see people um, converted. That happened in 1997 when I, when I visited Lewis. Um, and that same year, I was working with Gerald Coates and Noel Richards uh, on the champion of the World Prayer event uh, at Wembley Stadium. I don't know if many people will remember that, um, but, but, but a great event. Um, and when I came back from Lewis, I, I phoned Gerald straight away and said that I've met this man called Donald Smith who has told this amazing story of how God moved uh, across the Hebrides. We must get him down to Wembley Stadium to give his testimony. So Donald Smith, uh, who had never been out of Scotland, uh, he had never been on an aeroplane, uh, he flew from Stornoway down to London and stood in front of 50,000 people to give his testimony. And, and that has to be one of the most extraordinary moments of uh, my life, to see this man who had at first hand encountered what it was like to go through a revival sharing this story with 50,000 people uh, in Wembley Stadium. And one of the things that we wanted to do on that day was to symbolically get Donald to hand over the, the flame of revival, if you like, to the next generation uh, of young people. We weren't allowed to use uh, a torch because of safety reasons, uh, but what we did was we found four young people from England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and Donald Smith prayed over these young people and draped each of these young people in the flag um, of their nation. And that was one of the most extraordinary experiences that, that, that I've had. Uh, the presence of God there was so powerful, um, and it was a very, uh, a very special moment indeed. So here we are many years uh, later, and if ever the, the nation was, was ripe for revival, uh, Alan, it's got to be, it's got to be mm. now. And, and so that Awake UK initiative yeah. is all the more important in the days that we find ourselves in, isn't it? Absolutely. So Michael Youssef launched Awake UK, um, which is um, a global prayer initiative. So there is uh, an Awake America, Awake Australia. Uh, Awake UK was launched uh, just over a year ago, um, and the purpose of it is simply to mobilize an army of Christians who will pray again for a spiritual awakening in our nation, that we would see God come again as he did in the Hebrides in the 50s, as he did in Wales at the turn of the century, uh, and so on. Um, and who knows, maybe God is preparing the ground for a fresh uh, outpouring of his spirit um, today. 
Well, normally I would play another piece of music, but you've been so interesting, I'm going to drop your next piece of music so that you can, we can talk about something which, of course, which is very, very important and something which is new in terms of, of your joint medical evangelistic outreach project in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a wee bit about this initiative, Alan. Yeah, sure. Um, so Leading the Way has just linked up with... Um, uh, uh, a London-based consultant surgeon uh, who makes uh, regular trips to Ethiopia to deliver medical help to drug addicts, prostitutes, uh, and uh, the homeless. So this is a joint medical and evangelistic outreach um, project. Um, and this consultant surgeon uses these opportunities to uh, share the gospel and solid Bible teaching through the distribution uh, of pocket missionaries, uh, which we call navigators. Um, so the navigator uh, is a simple solar-powered device. It's a, an MP3 player. It doesn't need internet, um, uh, and it's loaded with the audio Bible and up to 50 of Michael Youssef's messages uh, in the local language. Um, so the navigator allows the delivery of the Bible uh, in remote regions of the world, you know, where there's no electricity, uh, where illiteracy rates are high, uh, where there are closed countries where Bibles are forbidden, um, and and so on. The medical work um, is, is offered to those who simply can't afford government-provided uh, health care. Uh, so, for example, uh, prostitutes living in shelters uh, benefit from cervical screening, uh, elderly women uh, in rural areas uh, receive surgery for pelvic organ prolapse uh, and individuals living in homeless shelters re- receive treatment uh, for diabetes and other medical conditions. And so far, over 20,000 individuals have received treatment and the number of patients each year uh, is expected to grow um, significantly. Over 500 navigators have been handed out so far to those who have received treatment. Um, And this means that over 5,000 people uh, have uh, received the gospel uh, through this navigator. The majority of these people have never previously read or listened to the Bible in their own language. Uh, And literally many hundreds of people are being impacted by uh, this ministry. The work is growing and the demand for navigators is increasing um, significantly. What, what sort of cost is it to, uh, for these little devices, uh, uh, Alan? Are they expensive to, to, to produce? So each device um, costs £20 uh, and that covers the cost of production, uh, loading content uh, and, and, and distribution. Um, and, and we want to, you know, give the gift of God's word to as many people as possible who are receiving this, uh, th- th- this medical treatment. Um, we've set ourselves a target to distribute 5,000 uh, navigators over the next 18 months. Uh, this will reach 50,000 people with the gospel. And so far, we have raised enough money to supply 3,500 devices um, and we desperately need to raise a further £20,000 um, to reach uh, our target. Um, and, and if there are people who are listening today 
who would like to support this um, this vital ministry, um, it would be great if you could um, make uh, make a gift. Uh, and if I can give you the details of how you can do that, oh, please do. Uh, yeah. So you can either go, so either go to the Leading the Way website, uh, which is ltw.org, and click the donation button, uh, or you can phone the Leading the Way office in the UK, and the telephone number is 0800 432 0419 to speak to one of our staff members, um, and the first people. First, um, the, the first 10 people to make a donation by phone will receive a free copy of Dr. Michael Youssef's new book, which is called Hope in This Present Crisis, uh, and is already uh, a bestseller. So the contact details, again, very quickly. The website is ltw.org. Go there and click the donation button, or you can phone 0800 432 0419 and speak to one of our staff members. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining me uh, on on the radio today. It's always a pleasure to, to have you on. And, of course, if people want to listen to the ministry of Dr. Michael Yusuf himself, presumably they can do that via the LTW website as well. Absolutely. The LTW website is probably the place to start. Um, we have uh, an app which provides you with uh, with, with all the, the channels that you can either watch him on TV or, or listen to him. For more inspirational interviews, podcasts and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.